station, but we're here for a real education. Welcome to A Real Education. I'm your host, Tim Wick, joined, as always, by master of all things movies, Melissa Kersher. Hello! And novice of all things movies, <laughs> Jenna Young. Hi there! We are also joined by our bad movie expert, Kelvin Hatley. Yeah, hey! Which is kind of interesting, because today's movie is <laughs> Citizen Kane. So, Jenna... World-famous crappy movie, <laughs> Citizen Kane. It is it's not. so awful. I've heard nothing but horrible things about well, it. Well, why don't you tell us what you know okay. about Citizen Kane? Isn't this, like, called the best film ever made by a lot of people? Certainly some people, yeah. Okay, because that's, that's, that's what I've heard. They're like, oh, it's the best film, blah, 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 whatever. Um, I know that... Orson Welles plays a huge role in this, and by huge, I mean like 18 million different things at once, right? Like, could be. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that was that look that, ah, oh, shit, she knows. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and I, I know bits and pieces, like the, the story, as far as I can tell, is a uh, rich old bastard dies, and uh, as, as he's dying, he says, Rosebud. Uh, which my great aunt had a scooter that she called Rosebud, and I loved to steal the keys for Rosebud so that I could drive around on the scooter. Um, so I'm assuming that Rosebud, and it's like the search to discover what Rosebud is, and I'm assuming it's like transport of some sort, like, but it's supposed to be like, like, I don't know, like, I don't think it's a scooter. I don't know that they had scooters back then. You heard uh, it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Rosebud is not a scooter. It's not a scooter. <laughs> well, maybe. Uh, we don't totally, know for sure. I'm totally, I totally love you don't know what Rosebud is. This is great. This, this is great. Is, yeah. It's, yeah. It was a red scooter. Is it a red thing? Well, well roses are red. Rose oh. are, we have no idea. Okay, then we'll Well, it, it could be a yellow rose. It could be a white rose. Yeah. <laughs> I don't Pink? think it's a rose. Pink. All right, anything else? Um, uh, something to do with the newspaper. All right, something oh, to do with the newspaper. Okay. Uh, okay. So, um, and he's also a citizen. Of something. What? <laughs> well, and what I remember is uh, in Animaniacs, they had, they were in this restaurant that had all of these things from various movies, and they're like, and there's the cane from Citizen Kane. And <laughs> I don't think that's a thing. Oh. I mean, there may be a cane in the movie. Oh, they, I totally want to I, set that display up somewhere, it. though. Like, the cane from Citizen Kane. <laughs> yeah, the... It, it, the beautiful thing about Animaniacs is they really did reference Citizen Kane a lot. I, I remember yeah. very specifically in one of their intros where they always switch around the the final word, you know. Yeah. And here's the show's name. Here's the show's name. Citizen Kane. Yeah. And then it shows you what Rosebud is. What? Yes. Yes, it does. Right. So you've seen it, and you're gonna be like, oh. So, um. Yeah, this is called by many the best film ever made in the sight and sound poll that they do every decade for many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, I think it finally got knocked out. It got knocked out place. by Vertigo this last yes. time. So yes. Verti- we've, we've seen what knocked Citizen Kane out of the number one spot. We yep. have watched Vertigo. Um, and, uh, it's, you know, I don't want to give too much away about this movie before we start. It. There are well, going to be those who are going to watch it and say, you know, I don't understand what the big deal is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what you need to understand before you see it, and what we'll talk about a lot more when it's over, 
is how much of the language of movies we watch now can be directly tied back to Citizen Kane. Yeah. Okay. This was a very bizarre movie at the time, just the way the story is told yeah. and visually and through the script. And it's um, it's hard to see now just because we are so used to seeing what this movie taught us in so many other films. And, and it's hard to understand that, yeah. that this is where it happened first. And we need what you need to understand is yeah we talk and I, this is not a spoiler. Orson Welles wrote it, he directed it. Uh, did he produce it? I mean, he, yeah, he he was pretty much everything about he, this film is Orson Welles, he and started, he was twenty five years old. Yeah, he was. Oh, congratulations! Yeah, and so he I mean, never made a film <laughs> before. Yeah, his and first he, movie. His first movie. Is Citizen Kane. He's going to spend the rest of his life. He was kind of a, a, a wonderkind of theater. Yeah. yeah. Before this, he, he had done um, um, stage productions that were extremely well received. He did uh, radio uh, plays. He did, you know, well, the famous. Uh, the famous War of the, the Worlds World thing. Uh, Scare yeah. was oh, Orson okay. Welles' uh, company. Yeah, the, and the the Mercury Theater players um, you see over and over again in uh, his films. Uh, you know, people he worked with in radio. Um, there are many of them in this movie and in future movies that he made. Yeah, so he brings and we'll talk this, about them. Yeah, later. he brings an ensemble in with him, and he creates this movie where the studio gave him a blank check essentially and said, "Make a movie, make whatever you want." Oh. To this guy who has never made a movie before. And that's how how much they believed in his ability to make something that was a blockbuster. Um, whether or not it was a blockbuster is irrelevant. What he did was created the language of film. Or certainly advanced it. I mean, there were, yeah. there, there were people that were creating the language of film all along. But... Uh, what they talk about with Citizen Kane uh, and kind of with Birth of, Birth of a Nation, which we will eventually have to watch. Uh, <laughs> but Citizen Kane takes all these disparate pieces that a whole bunch of other people have been working on, so it's not necessarily that he creates everything. But what he does is he takes it all and puts it all together in a way that nobody had ever done before uh, and in a way that really revolutionized the way movies were made, the way stories were told. It's not... An understatement to see to say that without Citizen Kane, you wouldn't have Quentin Tarantino. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I love Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> um, and we'll talk about why. Yeah. But but it's uh, it's easy to overlook the impact that Kane had when people watch the movie. It's not. It's an excellent, excellent film, but. It may seem a little more, I don't want to say, I guess basic. It's not It's not flashy. It's a good, well-told story. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way the story is told is remarkable and will have repercussions dating out you know, from then on. And the other thing that's important is the reason we're watching this movie is, of course, the last movie we watched was Plan 9 from Outer Space. Yes. Which then, was an Oscar award winning film. It was, it was <laughs> yeah. If, if Kane is one of the best movies ever made, that was theoretically one of the worst movies ever made. But the important thing to remember is when we watched Ed Wood two episodes ago. What? Yes. Uh, Ed Wood said that Plan 9 from Outer Space was his Citizen Kane. 
So and then that's, it has the yeah. scene where he runs into Orson Welles. Yes. Yep. It it all comes back around. It all comes back around. It, the last the, the last two episodes in this one tie together in a nice neat tidy bow, and um, I'm excited to watch it because I haven't watched it in about a year and. And, and I've got the shiny new Blu-ray set, so That's I'm right. excited to yeah, see Yeah, I can't remember the last time I watched it. This is going to be a sparkly Citizen Kaney experience, and we can't wait to get to it and then come back and see uh, what Jenna thinks of what is arguably, possibly, the greatest movie ever made. back we are done watching citizen kane the greatest movie ever made (laughs) (laughs) we're so high energy so well it's it's late it It is late late. it's late late and i i I think we were all just i I was unusually tired all day today and yeah and there's no yeah starting this starting this movie at 8 30 at night it's probably not that great yeah i don't know it wasn't a there's no great reason for why i'm tired it just it's one of those days. I, I feel like we're all kind of in that mood that Charles Foster Kane is after watching his wife do the opera, and he starts doing the clapping really <laughs> awkwardly. <laughs> okay, as so, much as I love this movie. So, Jenna, yeah, what did you think of the movie? Um, I could definitely tell how it. Uh, um, sorry, very tired. Uh, I. Definitely similarities in the storytelling uh, with with this and uh, Tarantino. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the 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 flashbacks and the jumping around time and things like that. Um, I mean, the story itself was a story. Mm-hmm. I wasn't excited by it. Um, it was it was interesting, but it wasn't like oh my god, this is the best thing ever. So yeah, that's the problem with calling something that. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When you call something the greatest whatever ever made, it's always going to be a little like you experience, and you're like, that wasn't the greatest ever. But it, it, you know, again, when you think back that this was made in 1941, it was like insanely groundbreaking. Mm -hmm. Uh, To the point that nobody knew what to do with it. Yeah. yeah, really. Well, it flopped <laughs> insanely hard at the box office. Um, it, I, it, people at the time did recognize that it was new and groundbreaking, but the movie going public was not on board. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That and uh, William Randolph Hearst <laughs> kind of did a little bit of because kind yeah. of did some stuff. Yeah, yeah the, the 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 story is loosely based upon the story of William Randolph Hearst. <laughs> The publishing model, and uh, as well as a few other public figures at the time, and uh, Hearst did a lot to screw with how this film played to the public. Yeah, because he viewed this film as character assassination. He yeah. he thought this film was was uh, was uh, Wells' attempt to make him look bad. Yeah. And no William Randolph Hearst newspaper would review Citizen Kane, 
until the 1970s. Oh, <laughs> wow. There was finally one uh, reviewer who broke the embargo in the 1970s. But yeah, it wow. was... Yeah, and his publishing empire was huge. So suddenly there's this, this conspiracy of silence against the film, which doesn't help it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's also the fact that, I mean, he does these things with uh, nonlinear storytelling, um, with refusing... To, I mean... What, what he wants to do is tell this story of who Cain was. And he uses this <coughs> device of, of giving us, say, saying that Rosebud is the key. Mm-hmm. Um, and when sure. we finally find out what Rosebud is, I think a lot of people are like, what, what the fuck? Not a scooter. <laughs> yeah, not a scooter. But it is a mode of transport. It is it a is. mode of transport. So you were accurate in that regard. Yes. Um, well, he, you know, he... The only time he was actually ever himself was when he was a kid. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, the, when you when you really think about it, it makes it makes perfect sense that what he's going back to is the point at which his life was, from his perspective, kind of ruined. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I think a lot of people just didn't quite get that. Well, and and also, it, it, Citizen Kane is a hard movie to love from a deeply personal perspective because in a way the character of Charles Foster Kane is very alienating. I mean, yeah. how many of us are super rich people who own empires, but I I mean Wells does a fantastic job of really delving into this man's character primarily through the people around him. Yeah. And but it's it it is there's this push and pull of the per, being isolated from this character and yet trying to understand—it's kind it. of a—it's kind of like a mystery almost in a way. Well, it is it, a mystery. Yeah, you're just trying to figure out what the hell is up with this guy, and mm-hmm. you know his. And there's the entire film involves unreliable narrators. Yeah, you know there are what we're, what we are seeing is Kane through the eyes of a bunch of other people, all of whom have their own baggage. Mm-hmm. I think we see that most in Joseph Cotton's character in that we see the super... Cotton's character is so jaded by his experience with Kane, and yet when we see him younger, when we see him through the eyes of uh, the chairman of the board character, who I don't remember the character's name, which is ridiculous. But yeah. the, the banker Bernstein. Guy? Bernstein. Bernstein. Okay. Bernstein. When we see it I mean, through Bernstein's eyes, Kane is you know a hero. Mm-hmm. And then, then through Leland, it's Leland's eyes. Uh, he's no longer a hero. He's a he's a villain. And and of course, the reality is probably somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't see. You know, there had to be happy moments between Kane and his second wife, but yeah. we don't see them. We just see the unhappy times. Yeah, and it's. I find their interactions terribly interesting too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love that perspective on his life in you know the, this bizarre tangent into the world of opera <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, particularly when we see a scene from two different vantage points you know you see that same opening of the opera you know earlier in the film from the front of the stage and then you see it later from the back and it's there's that shift in perspective depending on who's telling the story and yeah Yeah. it 
So, so yeah. some of the some of the film language, some of the things that he does in this film that are like very unusual for the time, like what the hell, mm-hmm. uh, and, and you may not even notice while you're watching the film is that what they did at all times was made the ceiling visible. Mm-hmm. You didn't do that in movies at that time. That was super weird. Yeah. 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 The ceiling is almost yeah. always visible in the film, and what they. What they were trying to do was really have that film close in on you and have it look claustrophobic. Uh-huh. Huh. And and beyond that, you know, since the cameras are almost always pointed up, you're making Kane look like a giant. You know, yeah. they, just visually sure. making him a, and, a, this statuesque yeah. um, uh, icon, a larger figure. than life figure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and 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 the big th- the thing that a lot of people bring up about. Citizen Kane was that it used a lot of deep focus. Oh yeah, the, which is huge. really which was not again not really done at that time. Yeah. yeah, so so you have a lot of these these scenes playing out um, where you have something in the the really extreme close up, say Kane at a typewriter, and then behind his shoulder, like the size of his ear, Jebediah is back in the background, or and and they're both in focus and. A lot of times you have scenes operating on two or even three different levels where you have uh, like the 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 scene with the the girl the girls and the sing the, the singing girls yeah the, the singing girls yeah, the yeah. Girls so you've got Jebediah and Bernstein talking in the foreground and then you've got the girls back there and and something completely different going on with Kane and and even in the reverse angle you know when you're when you see the that reflected in the in the window behind them, so you, you mm-hmm. always there's more than one thing to watch. At and the same everything time. is in focus. In most scenes, you'll see, you'll notice mm-hmm. that everything is in focus. And, and I mean, it, this wasn't new to Orson Welles. I mean, just, uh, two years before there was a movie called Rules of the Game, which is a French film by uh, uh, Jean Renoir, but uh, it's it also. Uh, plays like that very deep focus with scenes happening on multiple levels at the same time so it was that wasn't original to this film but I think that may have been the first time it had been, really been done in the American cinema right. and, and you know when we talk about again he didn't necessarily invent all of this language what he did right. is he took it and he, and he put it all into a single into a single oh, film yeah. and, and created a different <laughs> A different language style, you know, because yeah, in American cinema, if you had a character in the foreground and the background, somebody was going to have to be out of focus. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the interesting thing is you talk about that scene where you've got Kane in the foreground and Leland in the background, and everybody talks about that as being a classic deep focus shot, and in fact, it's not. That's mm-hmm. a composite shot um, mm-hmm. where where there are two different negatives that are that are put together. Right. To, right. to create that shot. But, but, but I mean, the effect is the same. The effect is the same. And what, what he did throughout this film is he wanted to basically not direct your eye at anything in specific. He wanted you to be able to see the entire composition of the shot. Mm-hmm. He does some amazing things with storytelling, like the way he tells the story of the first marriage just through that montage at the breakfast table. Oh, yeah. 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 It's like up with the ties every morning. Just doop, doop, doop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I saw this yeah. movie in college, and that the end of that scene, the whole uh, crowd just kind of went like, ah! <laughs> yeah. She's reading the other newspaper! Ah! <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know how to describe that reaction. It's not 
that's sort of you know kind of a laugh but not really it's just like oh yeah okay it, it's kind of subtle and kind of not and, yeah and it's in what's going on yeah. here yeah and to catch on it's like oh <laughs> and uh you know of course the the famous ending i um was it like the 50th in- yeah it must have been the 50th no the 50th anniversary of Citizen Kane. They had a, they had a screening at the Uptown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was several years ago, and '91 seems too long ago, but I could be wrong. But uh, you know, a friend of mine was like, "Oh, I'm gonna go see Citizen Kane today," and I'm like, "Oh, cool. You know, have a good time." And they came back, and they were like, "Wow, that movie was really great, especially that that ending." <laughs> and I and I and I kind of like. Sp- spit out my beverage or whatever and like you didn't know that yeah it's like that's like the most famous it's like the knowing that Darth Vader is is Luke Skywalker's father I mean everybody knows yeah. that right you don't feel like you're spoiling whoa 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 whoa, yeah. whoa. <laughs> we're just destroying all of, of cinema for Jenna here but um I mean if spe- having knowing Rosebud is a sled I don't think spoils it no. Oh, no, I mean they're. I mean it's it's almost a red herring. It, yeah. I mean it's not quite a red yeah. herring, but without the film leading up to it, it is a red herring. Yeah. And I and I remember you know talking to you know to my dad about Citizen Kane. I'm like you know, well yeah, my friend Kari saw it and had no idea what Rosebud was, and and you know and I can't even begin to imagine what it'd be like to watch that movie not knowing what Rosebud was. And my dad said like. Well, when the first time I saw it, I didn't know what Rosebud was, and yeah, I was I was completely floored. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By the end, you know, it was just it was almost, you know, it was like a really weird artistic, but makes sense ending. You know that artistic but makes sense. That didn't make. Well, yeah, that was yeah. a description that made no sense. But anyway, it ties everything together. You yeah. Kind of go, okay, yeah. I get. You know, when, when the reporter's talking about how one word can't tell you anything, it's like, you well, no, the word can't tell you anything. But if you understand what the word means, and I don't think the reporter, if he'd found that sled, would have understood No, he would have had no idea. You know, we as the viewer now understand how that sled ties together what happened in, in, uh, in Charles Foster Kane's life and that, that constant search for happiness that he had lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the sort of tragedy of that character. I mean, he, Charles Foster Kane is a, is a tragic character. He's yeah. He spends his entire life looking for happiness, and he just never, never finds it. And there's there's even that in the middle of the movie when he first meets his second wife, and he's talking about having his mom, his mother has just died, and he was going over to the warehouse to look for something, and we know that. At that moment, you know, when you get to the end of the film and you think back, you're like, he was going to look for that sled. He's been looking for that sled. Yeah. But never getting there. He never got there to find the sled. Or if he did, maybe he didn't. Well, well you know, when you, when you think back earlier in, in the movie, like, uh, when he's first taken away from the family home by, by the banker, uh, Thatcher... That there is a shot. With the sled. There's a shot of yeah. He hits him with the sled. There's a shot of the sled just sitting, getting slowly covered up by the snow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and then it's like his first Christmas away from home, and Thatcher gives him like this super nice sled. 
as a Christmas present. Yeah. And he's just like, this This is not what I want. This this isn't what I want. (laughs) (laughs) You're bad at Christmas. So there's like a weird... So, yeah, I mean, the sled symbolism is... Huh? It's you know it go you know well, it's, the, it's, the, the it's multiple globe, things the snow globe that he's got in his hand yeah. when he dies yeah. is, is part of that same thing of going back to <coughs> that time when he was happy sure um, and the tragedy that I think the tragedy with him is the fact that he just doesn't ever he never finds a way to share that loss with mm-hmm. anybody he never. And, 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 of course, the film doesn't tell us this. We don't know why he has become sort of disconnected and cold and dispassionate with everybody who is close to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and what, I, what I think is interesting is he, he becomes what he hates. Because, in, in essence, he's trying to make others happy by giving them what he thinks they want, which is what part of uh, I mean that that's part of the sort the source of his unhappiness doesn't everybody want to be rich yeah I mean he was given things that other people thought he wanted but didn't right he, he, and then well, he's you know, passing that on like a virus he was given stuff that he never really earned mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But and but he he earns the newspaper empire yeah that's that's kind of the interesting thing is that when when you look at it, what he's accomplished is is pretty remarkable, but it yeah. still it still isn't making him happy, right? Um, you know, to the point that that he sacrifices his own principles. You know, when when Leland sends him back his his statement of principles, and he and he tears it up because he can't even deal with the fact that yeah. he's man he's fi- compromised. The first time you know I saw that movie when when, when you know he gets the statement of principles mailed back to him that was just like yeah that was like this big dagger in the chest thing the first time I saw it yeah um so Melissa you always have a list of certain certain things you want to discuss what what's on your list well the the biggest thing that we haven't touched much on is um almost as important as the the groundbreakingness of the movie itself was the um the arsenal of talent that it unleashed upon Hollywood. True. Because most of the people who worked on this movie hadn't been in a movie before. So this is Orson Welles' first film. This is Joseph Cotton's first film. This is Agnes Moorhead's first film. This is Bernard Herrmann's first film. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert Wise, the director Robert Wise, was an editor on yeah. this film. Yes. Uh, and Robert Wise being the man behind... Uh, 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 the Day West, the Earth Stood Still. The Earth Stood Still, West Side Story, Star Trek The Motionless Picture, <laughs> um, you know, several <laughs> other things. So maybe we should oh, bring up that one. No, no, yeah. he, he had a very long... Yeah, distinguished very, career. Very long and storied mm-hmm. career, but you know, going back in a few of the other names I named off, you know, Bernard Herman, who we've heard a couple of times, I believe, in uh, Real Education Past. Didn't he also score Vertigo? He right. scored Vertigo. He so, scored a lot of stuff. Yeah, he yeah. scored a lot of stuff. Wonderful film scores, but this was his first movie. Uh, Agnes Moorhead, who played uh, uh, Kane's mother is um, one of the great, great, great actresses of cinema history. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Kind of, it's actress. kind of uh, it's kind of ironic that most people know her as um, 
Samantha's mother from Bewitched. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, but that yeah. is what most people are going to know her about. She is yeah. a tremendous actress, so pretty much any time you see her name on something, it's worth watching. And uh, going back to Joseph Cotton, Joseph Cotton's one of my favorite actors of all time. He and Another you know, guy has been in like a, a bizarrely a long spectrum of And we've stuff. seen him uh, before. We saw him in uh, the... Uh, shoot. Uh, Vincent Price film that I'm uh, Abominable Doctor Abominable Doctor Yeah, yeah. Fries, yes. Later in his career, he started. He wound up doing like a lot of horror movies. Yes, yeah. But <laughs> like every as you do. But uh, he was also in Third Man and uh, one of my favorite Hitchcock films, Shadow of a Doubt, um, which yes. I really hope we get to do on the podcast someday because it's it's a, a fun one. But yeah, Joseph Cotton, Joseph Cotton's like the ultimate everyman actor. He was he was always. He always has this wonderful ease to him on screen. You know, I think the other thing that you kind of need to be that, that's that's impressive. Yeah. Orson Welles' performance in this film is nothing short of amazing. Well, yeah, I mean, he plays a character from the age of twenty-five to the age of eighty. Mm-hmm. The makeup on that is great, but just looking at the physicality and how he communicates the aging of. It, it is really the the makeup yeah. in this movie is really surprising given how old it is. Yeah, they mm-hmm. they didn't have much to work with in terms of makeup back in those days. Yeah, and I just have to say, if you saw Orson Welles in later years, uh, <laughs> the makeup in Citizen Kane is even more impressive because you're like, they totally got it right. Yeah, um, he's going to have this kind of a gut. This he's, he, he, he was just uh, they, they they didn't quite. He got a lot bigger than they thought. Well, uh, I mean, how could you expect that? (laughs) (laughs) You know, the line before it's time. You know, the 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 interesting thing is also how uh, the life of Cain is kind of reflected in the life of Wells. Yeah. In that Wells is tremendously successful when he comes to Hollywood. He makes Cain. It flops, and he never ever is trusted in Hollywood again. Mm-hmm. And he's always fighting to get his movies made. Although he still made movies that were really amazing. And some that really weren't. Yeah, but, some, yeah. some that weren't. But I mean, I yeah. mean Magnificent Ambersons, for all of its uh, ambitions, never turned out to be what he had hoped. Uh, but in most of the cases, yeah. a film not turning out the way he had hoped had a lot more to do with people not letting him make the film he wanted to make. Right. Sure. Precisely. Uh, so, you know, Kane is really, I don't know if we want to say the only time, but one of the only times that Wells gets to make the movie he wanted to make. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it... He is, made some weird, um, like, adaptations of Shakespeare later in life that were... Oh, his... Filmed his. in, like, really odd places, like... Like Africa, because that's how we got funding. Oh yeah, um, um, I, Chimes at Midnight is magnificent. I, that's that's the one movie of his I've always wanted to see. Yeah, Chimes at Midnight um, is amazing, and it, uh, he's playing was it Falstaff? Falstaff. Falstaff. Yes. Yeah, he plays Falstaff in that movie, and it's okay. It is an astonishing it's, film. It's basically the. Uh, Shakespeare's history stuff told kind of from Falstaff's point of view. Yeah. Basically, oh, yeah, it takes cool. all of the Falstaff stuff. It's all, all the Falstaff stuff them, edited together. Yeah. And piles it into a film. Yeah, it, it's pretty amazing. You know, and the third man 
Now, Wells is no, in that. I can't remember. Well, Wells is in that. He yeah. did not direct it. But The but, Third Man uh, is a masterpiece. That that was... Um, I, I can never remember the... Carol Reed, I think, is the director. But yeah, uh, Third Man is wonderful. Also starring Joseph Cotton. Touch of Evil is Touch of Evil. Touch of Evil is definitely Wells. That we're definitely going to get to, I'm sure. Charlton Heston as a Mexican. <laughs> and it kind of works. And wow. it's, yeah. it's no Ricky Mooney as a Chinaman. But, you, know. Well, you, know, you can't have everything. <laughs> Did you call him Ricky Mooney? Yes. That's awesome. I love it. <laughs> so what do you remind I'm going to call him Ricky Nicky Mooney. Nicky Rooney. You spoonerized his name, but that's all right. <laughs> Yeah, Ricky I, Mooney is what I'm going to call him from now on. Ricky <laughs> Mooney does sound like some old uh, uh, hustler con man guy name or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so yeah, the movie the movie did fall into obscurity. Interestingly enough, following this from having this film come right after Plan Nine from Outer Space, in the in the <laughs> idea that that Plan 9 from Outer Space, of course, fell into obscurity and then suddenly became a cult classic as this awful film. Citizen Kane was in the same kind of thing. It fell in, fell into obscurity until, I think it was the 60s when it was kind of rediscovered. Yeah. A lot of things got rediscovered in the 60s. And, uh, a lot of old Hollywood stuff. And, and that was the point at which, basically, it shot to the top of the best movies ever made list when people finally watched it and sort of recognized how the language of film had been shaped by this this one movie you know obviously Mm -hmm. within the industry it had a huge (laughs) impact i mean you can tell because you can see the way the language is altered Mm -hmm. by what was done it was it was nominated for all the academy awards it was and then and then Uh, and at the academy awards it was booed every time the title of the film was Mentioned. Wow! Yeah, it flopped that hard. Wow! So nominated yeah. for things, but no love from the audience. Oh. Yeah, it, it's uh, again, it's this this. It's not so unusual that a piece of a work like Citizen Kane is not immediately recognized. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we could we could move forward and look at something like Pulp Fiction, which was very popular. Yeah. But I don't think anybody really understood the kind of impact that that movie was going to have on the movies that came after it right. at the time. Yeah. You know, when you look at the Oscars that year, Pulp Fiction was up for a bunch of Oscars but didn't really win anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whereas if you go back now and you say, well, which of these movies was the best or most in, certainly most influential most was influential. Pulp, Fiction, yeah. Pulp Fiction. And the same with Kane, in that nobody recognized at the time what he had managed to create. Yeah. Um, and again, we talked about it earlier, the, the nonlinear storytelling is going to influence Tarantino is one of the most obvious mm-hmm. in, in the way that they take you, they start at the end of the story and then take you back, don't even take you back to the beginning at first. Mm-hmm. No. Um, well, 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 stuff like, like finding out stuff about the character before you even see the character. Mm-hmm. Uh, you hear people talking about him, you just see uh, shots of stuff they own. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, look how long it is before in that movie before we see who, who uh, Kane is as an adult. Right. 
I mean, it took a long time before you even see him, uh, however old he was when he takes over the newspaper. Uh, I'd assume he's supposed to be, like, 21. No, he was 25. 25. 25, yeah. Yep. Same age as Orson Welles. Oh, okay. Oh, that's symbolic. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I I, I can't get over that he was that young. Yeah. In that that movie, because he does not seem like he's that young to me at all. Yeah, it's it's pretty remarkable the, what he accomplished. So uh, we should probably do final thoughts. Yeah. Uh, so Melissa, any final thoughts on Susan Kane? Uh, first of all, quick shout out to Greg Toland, the man who shot the movie, the the cinematographer. Uh, also did Grapes of Wrath and Wuthering Heights. Oh. You know, so he deserves a lot of props for just the way it looks. But also, I I just like on a personal note to say I really appreciate that there's a a woman sick in this movie who actually looks like a sick woman, and instead of like in the usually in the forties when a woman is sick and like bed bound, they just show her with all the glamour makeup except for except for lipstick. It, mm. Being sick means no lipstick. Whereas in Citizen Kane, she's like sprayed with perspiration. Susan looks hairs. like she's about to die. Susan yeah. looks yeah. horrible yeah. and appropriately so. So sick woman who looks sick in to a nineteen forties film. Lipstick when I'm sick. Props. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Props yeah. for the sick looking. Well, I, sick I, woman. I think yeah. you you know if you feel a little. And by prettier, sick, you might feel better. But, but by I mean, sick in this case, we mean sick, not sick as in good sick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. 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 I. I. I Physically I'm sick. Not, I'm not down with using "sick" as an awesome term. <laughs> yeah. but, but I mean, if you look, if you watch Hitchcock's Notorious and and like Ingrid Bergman is on her deathbed, it's still Ingrid Bergman with no lipstick. Right. Well, it's always it's always supposed to be like this beautiful tragedy thing. Yeah. So it's like. They die of old movie disease, and they just kind of keep getting more and more beautiful <laughs> until they die. Yeah, yeah. movie cancer. Yeah, movie, movie cancer. Yeah. But, yeah. but no, no, Su- Susan is like sick, sick in this movie, and I totally appreciate that. Sure. That's awesome. All right, Kelvin, final thoughts? Oh, boy. Um, yeah, it's just it's just a thoroughly impressive movie. If you, I, I think it helps uh, for, for people who maybe aren't into this kind of thing, uh, you know, the, this kind of stuff style of movie to just remember this was made in 1941 and there's a lot of shots in this movie that to me like they could have been made last week mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and and that's that's just utterly incredible to me Jenna um I, I think that uh, I mean the movie itself is a, is 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 really really well done uh, very well put together it's no plan nine. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you, gotta be, you gotta be honest sometimes. If there was just a scene where, like, you know, Kane stumbled into a statue and the statue kind of bent. Right. Or something. You know, but that never happened. Yeah. The statues looked more cardboard. Yeah. There, there was nothing made out of paper plates in this movie. Yeah. Oh, if they, shame, really. If they suddenly, re- if like Orson Welles suddenly replaced himself with like chiropractor with a cane. Yeah, and a sad lack of vampire. No vampire in this uh, film. Uh, um, so my final thought is just to say uh, we're going to be back in, you know, approximately 15 days. Our next movie, we are taking a foray into a different movie style. Ooh. Yes, uh, so we are going to be watching Man on a Wire, and uh, that's uh, pretty exciting. Look that one up, and we'll be back in uh, in a few weeks. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye. Yay. Yay. Yep, bye. 
We hope you enjoyed our film fixation. We'll see you next time on A Real Education. Dee, dee.